Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. And a quick uh, announcement here before we get started that uh, into this summer, our schedule will change a little bit. Uh, My dad will be going up north uh, to get out of the heat. That's where he lives in the summer. And I'll be uh, off of work and uh, our schedules will just be a little different. So we're not going to be able to record every single week, uh, so don't expect a weekly uh, posting. We'll try to post uh, two or three a month uh, these next couple months, uh, probably on uh, off-topic, uh, not directly related to current events. Um, so uh, what that means is we also encourage people to send us uh, topic ideas. So if you had something interesting related to history or, uh, or Arizona, um, or something that's going on right now, just send us send us a note. You can contact us by email, uh, robpodcast at gmail.com. That's R-O-B-B podcast at gmail.com. Or you can contact me on Twitter at BillyRob33. Uh, either send me a, a personal message or uh, just tweet at me uh, any ideas that you'd, that you'd like us to talk about. Topic for today was sent by uh, a friend who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago now, for Easter, Matt Emerson. He sent uh, this topic idea that we're going to talk about, so I'll I'll read it. Um, The the credentials to be president is going to be our topic today. Uh, What does a presidential resume look like? Is there an ideal life in professional history that prepares one to be leader of the free world? What skill set does a president need to have? How do we compare historical presidents, someone like Eisenhower with a Lincoln, with a JFK, with an Obama, et cetera? Uh, Is a lack of military experience an issue? What do we need out of a leader today? Maybe I'll have this on my own. What, What does political leadership look like today? Um, is it different now than it was 50 or 100, 100 years ago? Um, so I'll let you kind of start wherever you want. It, does, it kind of reminded me of something that you wrote recently about political leadership being something that can open up the, the, the realm of political possibility. I think lately we've, we're kind of stuck in the sense of leading from what the people want. So like, oh, the Trump people want this, so we got to give it to them. I think a lot of Republicans have that mindset, and maybe Democrats have a tendency to, to lean towards the progressive kind of side of things. If that's where our party's going, we got to give them that kind of red meat. But what does what does leadership look? What does political political leadership look like? And maybe we can start from from there. Well, I I don't think there's a template uh, that answers Matt's questions. In my own lifetime there have been three highly effective presidents in terms of getting big things done. Uh, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama in his first term. Uh, Bill Clinton was a successful president uh, politically, um, but he didn't get a lot of big things done. And the biggest thing that got done during his presidency was welfare reform, which he largely resisted. It's something that he sought to co-op. It wasn't something that he led with. 
but Richard Nixon completely uh, revamped international relations. He was also extremely effective in domestic policy. He was the one that ga gave us the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm. He imposed wage and price controls across the entire economy, um, a uh, thrust of presidential power that would just paralyze the country politically today. Ronald Reagan um, uh, reversed course in terms of our relationship with the Soviet Union. He created the conditions that helped lead to the collapse of the Soviet Union in the end of the Cold War. He completely uh, revolutionized the tax system uh, in the country to unleash, unleash uh, economic uh, productivity. Barack Obama um, got his stimulus in his first term, got his stimulus package um, passed. Uh, he got Obamacare passed. Uh, he got Dodd-Frank passed, which um, significantly increased the federal government's role in regulating financial markets. They all did it very differently. Um, Nixon was a uh, craftsman, um, a strategist. He saw opportunities, he went after them. Uh, Reagan was the great persuader. He got the country behind him, brought Congress along uh, with him. Barack Obama um, set the agenda and uh, identified the contours of what he wanted, but let Democrats who are in, in control of both houses in Congress work out the details of, of how to get it done. These are very different men, um, both in terms of their political persona, their leadership style, uh, and frankly, their moral rectitude. Yeah. Um, but what they had in common was focus. They identified a small um, uh, agenda of big things to get done and set about to get those done. They didn't get bogged down in everything else that the federal government does, uh, and they weren't buffeted by events the way you see so many of our presidents do. Um, the first George Bush famously said that he he didn't put it this way, but this is the way it got characterized, that he was the in-basket president. You know, things happened, he managed them. Well, um, he won the Iraq war, but he really didn't leave, leave a mark. The, the presidents that matter are those that have a small agenda and figure out a way to get it done. So that, that kind of, uh, and, th and they had different, all those presidents had different, uh, I mean, Bill Clinton was a governor. I'm just thinking about the uh, other part of Matt's question, which was, um, you know, what what credentials or preparation does someone need? Um, well, Richard Nixon was a U.S. senator, a vice president. Ronald Reagan was a governor. And Obama Barack was a Obama was, yeah, he was a first-term senator. So, so there, as, as I said, in, in answer to is there a template, there doesn't appear to be. So do you need, but do you need executive experience? Because I think that's, that's especially in primaries, that gets debated a lot of, oh, I have executive experience, you don't. Um, but it seems like, uh, I mean, do you, is that a, is that a, obviously it's not a requirement because Obama didn't have it and you, and you say he's very successful in getting 
things done that he wanted to do, but in a different way. So does it even matter if you have experience managing uh, anything? <laughs> I, I, I do think it's useful to understand how political decision-making differs, um, for example, from business decision-making. It's a consensual um, process rather than a top-down uh, process. Uh, the reality is no one really manages big governmental entities. Um, so the key is to have people who know how to do that uh, and can keep little bombs from blowing up on you that divert you from your agenda. So I don't think, I, I mean, I think, I think you have to go back to Calvin Coolidge and, and arguably FDR to get presidents that actually were managers, whose, yeah. whose, whose job it was to run the federal government. The federal government is just too big for anyone to truly run it. Um, e even big cities are too big for a mayor or even a city manager to really run. So you've got to have sort of deep in place in the bureaucracy uh, people who will, as I say, keep things from blowing up on you because that's what diverts you from your agenda. Yeah, and it, I was just thinking when you were when you were talking there about the the difference between kind of like the intention of what a presidential role would be and what the experience was like with some of those early presidents. I think we've mentioned this uh, on a previous podcast. Where we're talking about what the difference was between the leadership of the founding fathers between now, but the role of the president was intended to be almost like, you know, kind of just there to, to sign laws and not really to be the leader um, in, in, the, in the sense that it is now and how much it has grown. And you could almost like kind of check out a little bit and just... Uh, well, it, maybe we're... <laughs> it was a division of, of responsibility. Congress was to be the leader... Um, with respect to domestic policy, the president, the leader in terms of foreign policy, checked by Congress. Mm -hmm. um, Congress declaring war, the president um, managing war. Mm -hmm. So, but but even if you go back to um, FDR's days, uh, during FDR's presidency, um, even though we had an economic depression. Federal spending never constituted more than about 12% of gross domestic product. Today, it's 20%. So it's just a, between what FDR did and what LBJ did with the Great Society, the federal government is just gargantuan, and, yeah. and no one can manage it. And, and one of the worst things we do in our politics is to pretend that everything the federal government does is done in the name of the president. We'd be far healthier if we just acknowledged reality and the fact that when um, some agency issues a regulation, uh, if the president even knew about it, that's a surprise. And it, it is, everything that the federal government does isn't done at the direction of the president. It's, yeah. it, it can't be done. Yeah. Uh, and you, thinking about the, uh, the power of a president, do you think the president now, I mean, the current president, seems to be acting like more of a figurehead than maybe a lot of other hands-on 
uh, hands-on presence. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, but I think a lot of the conversation that we have now is, uh, um, should the president have more checks, uh, brought back on his power than have been previously? Or do you think maybe, maybe the better question to, to transition is like, um, how is Trump going to change the presidency? And is it going to be fundamentally changed? One of the big things I see as different is the moral expectations of a president uh, and um, being the leader of the free world and not just a figurehead way, but a, but a moral way. So um, do we need to downgrade the president? Is, is, is it happening? And how do you think Trump is going to change the role of, of presidents and how we see presidents. So what, what, what's happened going back to the 1970s uh, is that Congress has relinquished its role and authority, and that vacuum has been filled by, by presidents. You said since the 70s? Yeah, since the 1970s. That's, that's when the practice of coming up with vague laws um, that have to be filled in by Congress um, governmental agencies uh, began, and, and it started with the Environmental Protection Agency, um, where Congress basically said, we want clean air, we want clean water, go ye federal bureaucrats and make it happen, and, and fleshing that out, being specific about what regulatory approach was going to be taken and what was going to be required of businesses, uh, was deferred to the uh, bureaucracy. Um, and that's accelerated ever since. Uh, the unilateral power uh, that has been vested in the president to engage in the kind of trade wars that Trump is threatening right. uh, is a complete um, revocation of authority, yeah. relinquishment of authority by by Congress. Yeah. Those, we, those, I mean, treaties are supposed to be approved yeah. by Congress, which means that they, if they are to be amended, they should have to go to Congress. Instead, in, in trade, we've passed these vague laws that says if the president decides that it's good for the country, um, then he can impose uh, tariffs. Um, same thing on immigration. I mean, uh, there's an explicit uh, deferral to the president uh, to... Um, stop any person or any group of people that the president thinks should not come to the country for any reason. And that gave us uh, Trump's travel ban. Um, that had explicit statutory authority. And Unfortunately, that- both parties are unwilling to assert congressional authority when their own guy is in office. And you really need a bipartisan effort by Congress to say, we're going to regain our, our role. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Democrat or a Republican in the White House. Uh, Congress is united in that we're going to do our job and we're not going to delegate all this authority to yeah. presidents and defer and protect the guy if he's our guy, if he's overstepping what ought to be the limits that the Constitution imposes on the power of the presidency. Yeah, and we see other uh, 
partisan bickering happening as a result of those breakdowns. You wrote a column about the Iran deal, and everyone is up in arms about um, and shocked that Trump would would end such such a deal that had been negotiated and supposedly bringing ten years of peace. But your your point, your column was, you know, a treaty. If it was actually a treaty by the Constitution, that's supposed to be approved by two thirds of the Senate, uh, and what Obama did with Iran was not a treaty, which means because it didn't go through that constitutional channel, that it can be changed. By, and and by the this next is person. a good example. And there's plenty of examples of Republicans giving passes to Republican presidents, but this was an example of where, when Obama was negotiating that treaty or that agreement, there should have been a bipartisan effort in the U.S. Senate to say that has to go through us. Um, instead, they trumped up these votes uh, where Democrats and Republicans could express opposition to the deal uh, without it actually being submitted as a treaty and potentially yeah. um, rejected. So th- that that was a good example of where it was time for Congress to stand up yeah. and to say, if we're going to bind the United States to an international agreement, that requires a two-thirds vote of the U.S. Yeah, and the same could be said for for war making. We haven't had a declaration of war since I think two thousand one, um, and I think Obama kind of used that as when the, when the Syrian red line came up, where he he said there's a red line in Syria. If they use chemical weapons, we're going to bomb them. They use chemical weapons, and his he didn't. I don't think he wanted to bomb them, but he. What he did is he said, I'm going to put it to the Congress, and if you guys vote for a declaration of war, then I'll do it. Well, obviously, they're not going to do that. Um, but now, when, when Trump does it, I think everyone's saying, whoa, 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 we don't have a declaration of war. And that's another area where that's Congress's job very clearly. Um, but I think, but going back to like the historical thing, I think that expectation is being, has been violated forever, hasn't it? I mean, presidents have always done actions of war as commander-in-chief, it seems like, first, uh, and then just kind of, it was almost like a... Yeah, the... I can't remember specifically, even George Washington did some some military actions without formal declaration of war. I think Thomas Jefferson was probably the the first with the Barbary pirates. But yes, it is true that, that... the presidents have tended to assert under their commander-in-chief responsibilities the ability to take action to defend the country. I actually, in in recognition of that, uh, Congress passed in the 1970s the War Powers Act. Uh, And I'm one of the few that actually thinks that's both constitutional and and a good idea in which it said, um, if the president thinks that initiating military conflict is necessary um, to protect the country, he can do so. Uh, But he has to refer that um, after it's, while it's in process, to Congress. And Congress either has to approve it or hostilities have to cease in 60 days. So in essence, Congress has sort of pre-approved short-term action, uh, reserving for itself the ability to uh, 
approve and authorize uh, longer-term engagements. I think given the modern world, uh, that actually sort of takes the division of responsibility that the Constitution provided, which is Congress declares war, the president um, conducts war, um, in an acceptable way. Um, now, uh, presidents have, every, virtually every president, I don't know what Donald Trump's position is, but virtually every president has taken the position that that's unconstitutional. Uh, and there's a big debate every time hostilities are commenced uh, as to whether they require um, a submittal to a submittal to uh -huh. Congress. Yeah. I'm reading a book right now about Truman, um, very long book by, I've been reading it for a long time, um, by Mick, uh, McCullough, David McCullough. Um, one thing I was really shocked about um, was how little that they told him before taking office. I mean, they, uh, he was kind of like a FDR, been running for his fourth term. Uh, they needed a new vice president, um, and Truman was kind of like a last-ditch, safest effort uh, put him on the ticket. And it seemed like he was out of all the important conversations, uh, even about – he didn't even know the nuclear bomb even existed uh, until he um, until he took, took that seat. Um, how – I guess my, I was just a little rambling there. But my question was like, uh, how does a vice, I mean, what is the role of the vice president uh, now? I mean, it used to be just absolutely nothing. And even people, people wrote about that it was, uh, John Adams wrote that it was very boring, kind of like useless uh, office. Um, does the vice presidency matter more now? And who do you see as being a very effective vice president in modern history, it, it the the role of the vice president has changed a, a lot. Um, historically, it was often a rival, and and um, and he, the president and the vice president would be trying to do each other in uh, politically. Um, uh, then it became sort of a ceremonial role, and and. Uh, vice presidents weren't considered a integral part of the executive branch decision-making process, and, and Truman is a great example of that. The reality is that um, Richard Nixon uh, didn't have a large role to play uh, in the Eisenhower administration. Um, that began to, to change uh, with um, Reagan, uh, George uh, w. Bush, or, or George H. W. Bush, Papa Bush had had uh, a lot of international experience uh, and a lot of experience in relationships with um, uh, Congress. Um, Clinton uh, really uh, employed Al Gore. Uh, as not a co-partner, but an integral part. And uh, that's continued to be the case um, 
pretty much. Uh, Joe Biden was hugely influential, particularly on foreign policy uh, under um, Obama. Um, my perception is is that Pence does have influence on on Trump um, to the extent anyone has <laughs> influence on on Trump, um, uh, but certainly. Uh, Trump sees Pence as having a role, particularly with congressional relations uh, again. So the vice president has been used by modern presidents um, far more substantively uh, than historically has been a role. And, it's, and it used to be that you also balance tickets with it. I mean, um. it, it, John F. Kennedy for knew, electoral purposes, for like electoral political purposes. purposes. Yeah, I mean, John like F. JFK Kennedy. picking Lyndon Johnson to get yeah. the South and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and Lyndon <laughs> Johnson was completely excluded from decision making <laughs> in in the Kennedy uh, White House. But these days, it looks like presidents are looking more for partners. Uh, Dick Cheney for um, George W. Bush. Uh, foreign policy, congressional relations. So it, it, it does seem as though it's not so much balancing the tickets or buying off a political rival. Presidents are looking for people who can help them substantively. And I think um, as a result, it's been much more of an important role uh, and uh, healthier for the country. I mean, these are people who could become president. It's yeah. It's good that they're not kept in the dark and yeah. they actually get some on-the-job training. Yeah. Well, let's finish with a couple of rapid-fire questions. Um, who do you think is the most underrated president in U.S. history? Well, virtually all conservatives would say Calvin Coolidge. Um, uh, what did he do that should be respected or appreciated more? I. It was what he forbear doing. <laughs> uh, he he was very much uh, get government out of the way. He did lower taxes. The economy did take off. Uh, some people and what, what think, decade, think that what, he, what decade? What era are we talking about? This is the 1920s. So um, the left thinks that he overheated the economy and that contributed to the Great Depression. Um, I don't think that has much historical substance to it. So that would be the answer that any um, conservative would give. It'd be Calvin Coolidge. Ronald Reagan famously um, was a big Calvin Coolidge fan. Um, who do you think is someone that you think could have been and should have been a great president, but that never was? I'm going to answer that a little differently. Um, if we had a parliamentary system... Jack Kemp would have been a great prime minister. Uh, in, in terms of domestic policy, he was the architect of um, Ronald Reagan's uh, tax reforms. Uh, he had a heart uh, for helping low-income people improve their lives uh, and lots of great ideas for it. Uh, he just didn't have the political persona that could get to the very biggest stage. Uh, but in a parliamentary system, I think he would have been a highly successful um, prime minister. Do you think we're going to see other entertainers slash unconventional presidents after Trump? I think it depends upon how the country's feeling about the Trump experiment in 2020 and if he gets reelected in 2024. Um, 
I have always felt that he was a one-off, uh, that, there, that, that the temperament of the country was such that they were willing to elect a wrecking ball, uh, recognizing all of his faults and flaws. Um, I don't think a wrecking ball makes for good governance, and I'm assuming that will bear itself out. Uh, but his um, approval ratings are actually ticking up, and it, he's got a lot of big bets out there. He's got the Iran nuclear deal. He's got the tariffs and, and his negotiations with China. He's, he's got, got Giuliani got trying to make the FBI investigation <laughs> go away. You, you, you have that as, as well. But if, and so that might trip him up and put an end to him. But, but um, independent of that, he's making lots of big policy bets. Yeah. And, and so we'll see whether the wrecking ball style um, generates results. I'm skeptical, and, and I certainly don't think it's long-term a recipe for good governance. If we see another one, I'd like to see a basketball coach, maybe uh, Greg Popovich or something. Um, all right, well, that wraps up um, our first summer summer edition podcast. Uh, thanks, Matt Emerson, for the topic. Um, again, reach out to us. Uh, contact me on Twitter at BillyRob33. Uh, or email at robpodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you sporadically throughout the summer. Thanks.